Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. Well, today's message is the final message in our series, The Four Promises. And uh, in this series, we're talking about four timeless promises that God makes to us in Exodus chapter 6. And uh, God makes these promises to us, and they're universal, they're timeless. So it would stand to reason if they're universal and they're timeless, that God would want us to experience those promises, correct? I mean, again, if they're timeless promises and they're universal, that means God wants us to experience those promises. So why on earth would we ever settle for second best? Why would we look at the promises of God and say, well, uh, you know, God really doesn't want me to experience that promise. That makes no sense. If they're timeless and they're universal, they're for us to experience. So look what the Bible says about the promises of God in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all, everyone say all, all the promises of God in him, in Christ, are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. God is glorified when we uh, receive the fulfillment of these promises. So in Christ, the promises of God have their ultimate fulfillment. Remember, you'll have an initial fulfillment of a promise, and then you'll have the ultimate fulfillment of the promise. And uh, in Christ, all the promises of God have their complete fulfillment. The four promises we've been focused on throughout this series are revealed in Exodus chapter 6. They're in verses 6 and 7. And uh, that's our theme verse for the series. Let's look at it one more time. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out. And from under the yoke of the Egyptians, I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So God made these four promises. Number one, I will bring you out. Number two, I will free you. Number three, I will redeem you. And number four, I will make you my people and be your God. Those are the four promises we're talking about in this series. And God sent Moses to deliver the Israelites out of their slavery, uh, bring them out of slavery and into the promised land. And God did so with miracles and signs and wonders. And so for the last 3,500 years, the Jewish people have celebrated those events, the, the events of the Exodus. And one of the ways they commemorate that event every year for 3,500 years is a celebration called Passover. And on the evening of, uh, the first evening of Passover, the Jewish people start that festival or that feast with a meal. And we call that meal the Passover Seder. Seder just simply means order. The food, the drink, the scriptures, uh, the, the songs, the prayers, all of it is in a particular order. All of it commemorates the exodus from uh, Egypt. And at the Passover Seder, there are four cups of wine. And uh, each of the four cups of wine represents one of the promises we just read in Exodus chapter 6. For 3,500 years, they've been reading those verses at every Passover because they have an initial fulfillment and they have an ultimate fulfillment. And again, the ultimate fulfillment of these promises are found in Christ. Aren't you glad for that today? So what does that have to do with us today? Well, we are eligible to enjoy those promises God made to the Jewish people. Here's why. There there are four basic promises, salvation, deliverance, redemption, fulfillment. Here's why. Only through Christ can we truly experience salvation. 
Only through Christ can we truly experience deliverance. Only through Christ can we truly experience redemption. Only through Jesus Christ can we experience fulfillment. Look what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, 4, Indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So Jesus is our Passover. He is the Lamb of God. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus gives us access to the fulfillment, the fulfillment of these four promises. So each cup of wine at the Passover Seder has a name. And so when, they, when the Jewish people stand up and they read the Scripture, there is a name. That cup has a name. It symbolizes something. The first cup was sanctification. It symbolizes our salvation. When God brings them out of Egypt, and just like us, when, as God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, so God also brought us out from our bondage of sin. Amen? So it represents salvation. The second cup is called the cup of deliverance. And like the Israelites, God wants us to live free. Uh, the Israelites were physically free from their slavery as they made their way through the wilderness and towards the promised land, but they had a major problem. While they were physically free, they were not free in their hearts and their minds. They still acted and thought like slaves. Same way with you and I. When we get saved, we don't have it all down. We're not perfect. We still have issues we're working through. We have things that, we're, that get us stuck. And so God promises to bring us out of that being stuck. He wants us to have freedom. He wants us to have liberty. Unfortunately, most of us get stuck right there. We never experience the fullness of the next two promises. I mean, think about this throughout your, your church experience. You've just seen people kind of get stuck in a rut, and they just kind of stay there. God promises to bring us out and to free us. It's a promise and it's worth. It only has fulfillment in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The third cup is called the cup of redemption. We talked about this last Sunday. God wants to redeem us and he wants to restore us because that's what redemption is all about, restoring us to our original intent. God, listen, God had a plan for you. He created you to fulfill that plan. You weren't born, then God found you a plan. It's the opposite. God had a plan for you. He created you to fulfill that plan. When you're born again, when you come into relationship with Christ, you're able to fulfill that plan. Again, you can only experience true and full redemption through Jesus Christ. The fourth cup is called the cup of praise. It's also called the cup of Hallel. It's called the cup of Elijah. The fourth cup and its promise is what I want to talk to you about today. The fourth promise is fulfillment. The fourth promise is fulfillment, and I'll show you why. Let's just look at that word fulfillment for just a minute. Fulfillment means the achievement of something desired, promised, or predicted. It's the satisfaction of our happiness as a result of fully developing one's ability or character. We have ultimate fulfillment in Christ. That's where we have our fulfillment. It's in Christ. So God wants us to live a fulfilled life. No, there's no mistake about that. We see it clearly in Scripture. It doesn't mean we won't have problems. We're going to have problems. We live in a fallen world. We're going to experience tragedy. We're going to experience brokenness. We're going to experience suffering. We're going to experience all these things. So when I say that God wants us to have a fulfilled life in the midst of those situations, we can still have fulfillment. Look what Jesus says about this in John 10.10. 10. It's a verse I've just been echoing throughout this series. So this is just the, the King, New King James. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. All right, the next one, I'm just going to focus on the last part. The, the New Living Translation says it this way. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The message says it this way. I came so that they can have real and eternal life, 
more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Uh, the, the Amplified, I came that they may have, may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. So Jesus clearly wants us to have a fulfilled life. It's, it's clear in this scripture. He came to give us life and life abundant. Life to its overflowing. Life of blessing. So God wants us to live a fulfilled life. Statistically speaking, most of us don't ever get there. You know why? We get stuck in number two. We, just, we try to get freedom. We try to work through our issues. We just get stuck in our issues. And we're like, well, this is where God wants me. I, I guess I just should be happy that I'm saved. If these are promises that have their ultimate fulfillment in Christ, why would we ever settle for second best? When, listen, Jesus died to give you his best. Why would we ever settle for anything less? That's, that's not a life of faith or, or testifying to the glory and goodness of God. So unfortunately, many of us are living a life the devil wants us to live. Remember, what's his plan for us? To come to steal, kill, and destroy. That doesn't mean you're not saved. I'm not saying that whatsoever. But I'm saying this, that we ultimately end up, most of us settle for a plan that is not God's. And so in most cases, it's the devil's. And I'm going to show you that, again, doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means we're not living the life that God wants us to experience. So here are three major, ma three major reasons why we don't experience the fullness of God's promises. So number one, we allow our past to cripple us. And most of us uh, have had our, in here, have had our sins forgiven, but we have a devil who reminds us of our past. And look what the Bible says about our spiritual enemy. And this is Revelation 12, 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Look, the accuser of the, our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Satan is our accuser. He will constantly remind us of our past. He wants us to be defined by those things, by our past, by our failures, by our mistakes. So when we allow our past to define us, guess what we do? We play right into his playbook, right into his plans. Again, we get stuck in a rut. We're like, man, I'm not living a fulfilled life. I guess I should be happy that I'm just saved. That plays right into his hand. He's stealing from you. Church, don't ever allow your past to stop you from experiencing experiencing what God promises. So let me ask you this. You get stuck in your past, whatever it might be, let me ask you this simple question. Which of your sins did Jesus refuse to die for on the cross? Which of your failures, which of your mistakes is he refusing to forgive you? The answer is what? None. None. He forgives us all, right? He forgives us of all of our sins, all of our failures, all of our mistakes. Some of the most horrendous things mankind do, he offers forgiveness, healing, restoration, freedom. So Jesus came to set us free, and if you aren't experiencing freedom, then please, let me help you, okay? Again, I'm not trying to be up here and act like I'm perfect, but I've just come to this place where I'm like, I really don't care if you, don't, if you think or you don't think I have it all together, because I don't. And that's one of the most freeing things you can ever say. And let's just face it, we live in a small religious community, and sometimes we got pride and ego gets in the way. But really, I'm, and that's not saying that here I am, here's my ugliness, you just have to take, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just not going to let my past define me. I would say this. This is why small groups have a very, very powerful effect because you can, re, you can form real relationships and you can find freedom in those relationships. And we find freedom in our relationship with God. Again, most of us stop right there. And it's sad. 
because you have to find fulfillment of that promise in other believers with each other. I'm going to show you what I mean by that. We find freedom in our relationship with God and freedom in our relationship with other believers. Give you an example of that, James 5.16. Look what, look what James writes. Uh, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's healing in relationships. Jesus has brought us out of our sin so that we can have a fulfilled life so that we're not living in the past, we're living in the present, we're living under his blessings and have a life that is experienced in his best. So God is establishing us as a people. Remember, that's the promise we're talking about. Not a person, but a people. It's plural. So the ultimate fulfillment of that promise is God establishing us as a people. So life change happens in the context of our human relationships. Listen, if that's not the case, then when we get to heaven, we're all going to have our own individual islands all by ourselves. Real fulfillment of this promise comes in the context of human relationships. We don't experience the fullness of God's promise because, number two, because we allow our culture to define us. So we, we allow our past to define us, and then we allow our culture to define us. Let me show you what I mean by that. See, we're running plays from a playbook, and often it's not God's playbook. It's someone else's playbook. So are you living your life out of God's plan for your life? Is, are you really, every day, are you living out God's plan? Are you focused on that? Is that something that drives you? If not, then you're probably playing from someone else's playbook. Most likely it's one you've adopted that the world has said, this is an acceptable playbook. This is the way you live your life. This is how you look. This is how you act. This is how you treat people. This is what you do. Boy, that's a big mistake, isn't it? Because God's playbook is right here before us. And this is how we live our lives. Some of you have climbed to the top of whatever ladder there is, looking for whatever it is that you want, peace, happiness, success, and you get there and you're like, this ain't it. You can have all the money, all the stuff, all the toys, all the experiences, and you're like, this is not it. I mean, it was fun for a while, but this is not fulfilling. Why is that? Because your soul desires something completely different, and it would only be satisfied with something completely different. It's what God put in us. It's only what will satisfy our soul is what God has put in us, that desire to fulfill His will, His purposes. Why does this happen? Usually because we're trying to please someone else. We adopt someone else's playbook, because we're trying to please someone else other than God. And it never works. It always runs counter to God's plans and his purposes. See, our culture, think about this right now. Our culture is, it's amazing what our culture does, how it redefines people. The reason our world is all messed up is because we, people don't know who they are. I mean, they don't know if they're a guy or a girl. I mean, they don't know anything. They're confused. And so whatever the culture says, this is fine. But there are some things that God defines in his word that is unchangeable. If we just pay attention and live our lives by them, boy, it would help us out, wouldn't it? So marriage, gen gender, sexuality, you name it, it's all being redefined currently. And uh, people don't know who they are, what they are, and then they definitely don't know what God's designed them for. And if they don't know, how can they live it out? And the answer is they can't. Ultimate fulfillment is found in Christ. This is why we need to constantly remind ourselves who we are in Christ and who the Word of God defines us as. Look at Galatians 1.10. Paul writes this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? 
If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You've got to live out God's plan for your life, amen? From his playbook. Jesus redeemed us from our sins so that we can live our lives from his playbook to accomplish his plans, his purposes for our lives. Number three, this is a surefire way to live in an unfulfilled life. This is, this is probably one of the best ways we can live an unfulfilled life. Here you go. Number three, we try to do it all alone. Why would we ever want to do it alone? Here's why. Here's why we want to do it alone. Because we've tried people and they're a pain in the butt. But that's exactly, exactly what Satan wants us to do. That plays right into his playbook. I don't got time and energy for that drama. I don't have time and energy for this or that. Plays right into it. And listen, this is the one that gets me the most. Because I get to a certain place, I'm like, done. I just get to that place. And that's exactly what Satan's plan is for our lives. For example, does, the, does Satan want to mess up our marriages? Sure he does. But why? Why does he want to do that? Does he just want to mess up our marriage and that's it? Nope. It goes beyond that. He wants to mess up that marriage so he can mess up every other relationship that has meaning and purpose in your life. Because you know this, if you've ever gone through a bad relationship, you become very suspect of everyone. Your, your trust level comes down. Satan wants to mess our marriages up so that he can mess up all of our human relationships. He'll target a healthy re, uh, relationship, and if he's successful, not only does he destroy that relationship, he causes you to be guarded, he causes you to be defensive, he causes you to be skeptical of people, and this plays right into his hands, right into his hands, and it isolates us. Man, that's one of his best, best plans for our lives, is to isolate us relationally. You will never live a fulfilled life alone. Yeah, but it's safer, but you'll never live a fulfilled life alone. It will become so, it will become your own prison. And this again is why small groups are important. It's why you need to be connected with a group or a team. It, it, it doesn't matter the size of church, big or small. You have to be connected with a group of people within the body of Christ. It is a must. Look what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4.8. This is the case of man, this is the case of man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. You, again, you could have all the money, all the fame, all the accomplishment, all the success, all the things, all the experiences, but if you don't have people, you got nothing. You have absolutely nothing. You have meaningless, meaningless things. Meaningful things are human relationships. And if you don't have them, you have a very unfulfilled life. See, this world gets us so busy, so, so busy with stuff that just doesn't matter. Listen, people matter. Your relationships do matter. You get so busy in this world that you have no time for anyone else. Promise number four solves these problems. So number four cup, in, in the, the, or the number four promise we're talking about in this series, again, is the cup of praise or the cup of Hallel. And Hallel is a Hebrew word, and it's where we get our word, hallelujah. It's, where, it's derived from this word. It's the root of this word. And really, it just simply means to celebrate God. Hallelujah means to celebrate God. And isn't this the way God intends us to live our lives? It's from the cup of praise. We live a life that celebrates God. We should never live a life 
that, that dishonors God. We should live a life that celebrates God. That God, we're experiencing his promises and his blessings, all the things that he intends. Again, does that mean a perfect life, a carefree life? No. It just means in the midst of life, you are experiencing God's blessings and his promises. And you do it all for the glory of God. It's for his glory. So our lives should become a life that celebrates God. So when we understand that, that word hallelujah, we understand it in a very narrow sense. And when we, again, when we say hallelujah in a worship service, it's a very narrow thing, if that's how we understand its context. The Hebrews, the, the Old Testament believers, would understand hallelujah from a com- completely different perspective. They would look at it as a hallel life, a life of praise, a life that is fulfilled, a life that celebrates the goodness and faithfulness of God. Again, it doesn't mean it's a problem-free life. It doesn't mean that we're, we're living a life that is perfect. It just means this. You are living a life to the full. You are living a life that matters. Isn't that what we all want to live? A life that truly matters? Not a life where we're just counting out. Well, i got a few more days left here. Thank God I'm out of here. That is not a fulfilled life. I mean, Moses was 120, right? And he walks to his grave. A fulfilled life. Are you living the life God intended for you? Let's go back and look at the original promise because again the answer is right there the answer is right there in scripture for us exodus 6 7 i will take you as my own people and i will be your god i will take you as my own people not person but as my own people and i will be your god it bothers me when i hear people say this i don't have to go to church to be a christian what bible are you reading from I mean, I, again, technically, yeah, to, in order to become a Christian, you know, I get that. But in order to live for God, live a life that's pleasing to God, a life that God's called you, a reason that he saved you for, you're going to find yourself connected to a body. You have to, you must, unless there's these rare occasions where these scenarios where it's deathbed confessions or whatever, you need to be connected to a local church. It doesn't have to be this one, but that, that's, that notion is completely false. It doesn't add up with Scripture. Again, can a person get saved on the street and not be in church? Sure, but they need to be connected to a body. So promise number four spells it out. God promises to establish us as a people. The first three promises, what do they deal with? It, it deals with establishing you as a person in Christ. But the last one, deals about establishing you as a person, as a people, in a body. And then God says, I will be your God. Fulfillment, completeness. So how does the Bible describe us collectively as Christians? As a body. We are the body of Christ. So if you're a hand, you've got to have an arm. If you're a hand, you've got to have an arm. If you're an arm, you've got to have a torso. You've got to be connected. So God says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God again. Notice that we become a people that belongs to God when we become a people. So we experience the fullness of God in our relationships with one another. And you say, where do you get that? It's woven throughout scripture. I mean, it's very simple. Here you go, check this out. Uh, For example, what is the first and most important command? Love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, strength, and mind. Jesus goes on and says, and the second is like it. Love people the same way, in the same manner. See, again, if you're not fulfilling that, you're not going to have fulfillment. Something's going to be missing. Well, I got God, I got Jesus, I got the... Yeah, but something's missing. 
A fulfilled life is a life full of meaningful relationships. All human beings, we, we all, you know, cultures all around the world, sociologists study this. It doesn't matter if you're in a tribe in the bush somewhere or you're in a major metropolitan city, whether in America or Europe or wherever. We, we all have common needs. Mankind has common needs. I'll give you a couple of them. We have a need to know from the very beginning, right? Questions, a need to know, a need to love, and a need to be loved, a, a, a need to belong, a need to be esteemed. Here you go. We all have this. This is one we often miss. We all have a transcendent need. What, what does that mean? A transcendent need. It means that a need to know that our life has purpose and meaning beyond ourselves. A need to know that our life has meaning and purpose beyond ourselves. You see this every day in life. You just see it. It's, God's placed it in our DNA. We all, what does my life mean? What does its purpose so look around you. Every day you see people trying to accomplish this all the time. But it can't be done without Jesus. It cannot be done without Jesus. God wants to establish us as a people because his desire is to be in the midst of his people. It's just amazing because God not only wants to be uh, in a part of our lives, he wants us to be in the midst of him, who he is. So this is, again, another pattern you see throughout Scripture. God wants us to make us a people so that he can empower us, so that he can embody us, so that why? So he can accomplish greater things, greater things than we'd ever imagine. You know, we call it in Pentecostal circles, right? The anointing. God wants to empower you. I mean, let's go back to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not just so we go around speaking tongues. God wants to empower you. Why does he want to empower you? Because he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. You can't do it in your own abilities. You have to do it in his strength, his power, his abilities. Now think about that. When we collectively fulfill that, what an amazing thing that is. What a powerful... God wants it to be this way, that, man, with that church, what are they doing there? I'm not talking about services. What are they doing in the community? How are they doing that? See, God wants that kind of attraction. Why? Because God wants to be in the midst of his people, empowering his people to reach lost people. This is a fulfilled life. When we are joined together with one another, accomplishing God's plans, his purpose, these are transcendent means. This gives us, when we come together, we understand our life has meaning beyond ourselves. So God brought us out of our sin, God sets us free, and God redeems us. Why? Why does he do all that? So that we can fulfill the fourth one, so that we can be his people and he, he can become our God. This is why you cannot hate one another. You can't be a true follower of Christ and hate someone give you another one. You can't be a person who holds unforgiveness. You refuse to forgive towards especially another believer. You, you cannot fulfill God's plan living in that place. It will, if you have that kind of mess in your heart, it's going to destroy your relationship. You'll never have any meaningful relationship or just very, very few. Very few. See, God wants to establish us together as his people. And now more than ever, now more than ever, this is a tremendous need in our world. Now more than ever, our world needs to see the body of Christ fulfilling this promise. See, a city on a hill cannot be what? Hidden, but where is the church right now? We're all stuck in politics. We're stuck in this. We're not shining. There is an incredible need right now for the body of Christ, and we are missing the window. This world is a dark place. I understand it, but it needs to see the light of God's glory, his mercy, his love. God called Israel out of Egypt to establish a people for himself. He's doing the same for us. God called us out of our sin to establish us as a people. It's the fourth promise, and when we participate in it, when we experience its fulfillment, it's something powerful.
God is glorified. God is magnified. When you can get people together on the same team, going after the same thing in a unified effort and love, you've got something powerful. But you know this, it's easy to get a couple people together and have a difference of opinions. When people can get together and have unity and love, it's a powerful thing. So what should our response be, be to this promise? What should our response be to this promise? Number one, know this. Know you're called. Every one of you are called. Every one of us, God has called us. First, or 2 Timothy 1.9, the Message Bible. We can only keep on going, after all, by the power of God who first saved us and then called us to his holy work. We're all called. Not just pastors, not just evangelists or whatever title there is. We're all called. We're all called to fulfill God's purposes. God saved us so that we could. He redeemed us so that we could fulfill his calling on our lives. What are we called to do? Well, we're all called to make a difference. Again, isn't that where we find ultimate fulfillment? It's when we know our lives is making a difference rather than just going through the motions. It's an eternal difference, by the way. Not just a temporal difference, but an eternal difference. What are we collectively called to do as a church? What is our calling as a church? What is our purpose? Again, some people say, well, it's to worship God. But again, if you don't have worshipers, how can you worship God? So therefore, the first calling, the first purpose, Jesus laid it out in the Great Commission, is to what? Our first calling, our purpose is to make disciples. And this one's so easy. I don't know why we get so confused about that. Well, it's to worship God. But again, if we don't make disciples, we die out. Who are the next generation? The world goes on. Let's make disciples, number one. That's why he said, go out to all the world, build churches and worship me, and just forget about the world. No. No. Go out and make disciples. Call to make disciples. But people lose their way. Listen, this happens so much in churches. When people lose their way, it's because they lose their why. Churches lose their way. People lose their way because they lose their why. Some churches get all caught up fighting, bickering with each other over the silliest and stupidest things. But they get caught up in the silliest things, and they forget why. They forget why they exist. They exist to make disciples. So we're called to make an eternal difference in our community. How do we do that? We make disciples. Do we make an eternal difference by opening those doors and singing? No, we don't. Is that important? Sure it is. But it's not making an eternal difference. So if you lost sight of that, then we've lost our way. If we lose sight of that, we've lost our way. But we're all called. We're all called to make disciples. That's what's going to bring us fulfillment. Number two, you are called to accomplish the cause. Look what Paul says in Acts 20, 24. But my life is not worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Again, we're all called to do this. It's, it's not just what happens on a Sunday morning. This should be happening in our daily lives. We're all called to this work. We're all called to this cause. This is our cause. People, the people come to know Christ, to know Jesus. And this is why God pours out his spirit on us. This is why God puts something into our hands, whether it's our occupations, our skills, our talents, our family, our money, our possessions. Everything we have is to be used for the glory of God. How do you most glorify him? Win souls. Disciple people. Here's why. It's the most important thing. It's eternal. Souls are eternal. Does this mean we can't enjoy life? No. Enjoy life. We're supposed to. But it does mean this, that you're living your life to the fullest is when you're doing this, when you're using what God places in your hand for his glory, for his purposes. Remember this, 
If you signed up for Jesus, you gave your life to him, you no longer belong to yourself. You belong to him. Listen, don't you want to do something that makes an eternal difference? Unfortunately, I think many of us are so focused on ourselves, on our own lives, in the temporal, that we forget, we forget what's eternal. What's eternal? What matters most? And here it is. It's very simple. This is what's eternal. Heaven, people. Heaven, people. God's called us to do something that makes an eternal difference. Are you making that difference? You're called. Are you called to the cause? Number three, number three it must uh, change from me to we. If you're going to live out a life of fulfillment, it has to change from me to we. And you'll never experience the fullness of promise number four unless your focus changes from that, from me to we. Look at Ecclesiastes 4.9. Two people are better than one, better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. I've learned this. People get stuck trying to get free because they get so focused on themselves. So focused on themselves. The way I need to get stuck is just me, me, me. But sometimes it has to go from me to we. And that, then we get unstuck. I've seen this happen time after time. People are trying to get unstuck, but they say, you know, at the same time, I need to accomplish God's call and purpose for my life. I need to do whatever I need to do. It's not just about me. And maybe help someone up, and they instantly get this liberty in their lives, this freedom in their lives. You know why? It's no longer about them. I mean, isn't that what the cross is all about? Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.